0: Easter is coming up. Easter is going to be, what, three or four weeks out, April 12th. What I have in my hands here are some sign-up sheets for the prayer vigil that we have traditionally done from Friday evening, after our Good Friday service, through Sunday morning, and we maintain a constant vigil of prayer for that period of time. And as you might imagine, uh, it takes everybody's involvement to keep that going, to get full um, coverage for the prayer. So I'm going to pass these around today. There are pens or pencils in the pews. So look them over and determine when you can sign up for a half an hour prayer slot or longer. Um, And if you don't want to sign up today, if you're Needing to think about it, that's perfectly all right. We're going to be doing this for the next few Sundays, so we'll have plenty of opportunity for you to sign up. Also, during Holy Week, uh, we're going to have the sanctuary open from noon to one each day, Monday uh, through uh, Friday, or excuse me, Monday through Thursday, and then Friday we will have a Good Friday service at 7 o'clock preceding the prayer vigil and leading into Easter, And as usual, we're also going to have an Easter brunch following service. So that's all stuff to look forward to. So Liz, there you go. Rodrigo, you start there, pass it on. We're moving into the Easter season. And as I've told you guys a few times, I want to make much of Easter this year. Uh, We have the Advent season for Christmas. And there's all that anticipation Certainly economic anticipation before Christmas. You know, they start putting the Christmas decorations out now sometime in September. And so there's a lot of anticipation for Christmas economically. But certainly, spiritually, there's a buildup to it. You know, that whole Advent season where we prepare for Christmas. But so often, we don't have that same experience with Easter. And yet, Easter truly is the preeminent holiday on the Christian calendar. The resurrection is what makes Christmas important. Had Jesus not died on the cross, risen from the dead on the third day, Christmas would have just been another birth of a poor Jewish boy. But in fact, that little Jewish boy grew up to be a holy man who died for our sins. So we're going to make much of Easter this year. And in preparation for that, I'm doing a series on the gospel and specifically trying to draw out the glory of the gospel, helping us to perhaps dig just a bit deeper and understand the panoramic aspects of the gospel, that the gospel is so much more than simply a formula That Jesus died, was buried, and rose from the grave, and that on the third day, um, you know, he was ascendant over death. And if you believe in that, then you will be saved. Certainly that's true. But the gospel, the good news, is something that began in the mind of God before the beginning of time, before the creation And there are several uh, places in scriptures that talk about this, but the one that I uh, prefer to focus on is Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, where it says that Jesus Christ is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. So in the mind of God, he understood that his son would sacrifice his life, shed his blood, For our sin. So the gospel was never plan B. The gospel was always in the mind of God. And there are a lot of complicated, difficult things to understand about the gospel. About the situation that we are in. uh, That we find ourselves in. And this morning we're going to be talking about a very important topic that really, if you don't get this right, if you don't understand what we're going to be talking about this morning, the glory of the gospel doesn't take its full effect. We're going to be talking about sin. In order for there to be good news, what does there also have to be? Bad news. That's right. That's right. Now, all of us have a world view, a way in which we look at the world around us. It sort of frames how we understand our lives and interpret events and apply meaning to life and to events. We all have a world view, and it's shaped by something. It's informed by some source of information. Some people have a scientific worldview. That is to say, everything that they understand about the world is informed through scientific endeavor or study or advancement. Some people have a worldview that says that uh, the world has evolved from a big bang, that there is no creator, that it just is moving on in a meaningless progression towards who knows what. We, as Christians, ought to have a gospel worldview. In other words, we ought to look at the world around us informed by the Bible with regards to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how we look at life. That's how we understand and give meaning to life. It's through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel answers every question imaginable with regards to life and existence. It deals with the issue of origins. It deals with the issue of destination, where we are headed. It deals with the issue of why is this world so broken Why do we experience pain, sorrow, suffering? And what is the solution to that? The gospel worldview answers all of those questions, and there is substantive evidence to support the gospel worldview. We're not just pulling this out of a hat. The gospel is based in the Word of God, but it's also based in history, It's based in archaeology. It's based in a a rational interpretation of human experience. So, we have a worldview. Does your worldview include the notion of sin? And if so, what is sin to you? How do you define it? How do you interpret it? How do you understand sin? Because in the world today, there are a lot of attempts to take sin and remove it from the context within which God has placed it and put it in some other type of context. Sin, rather than being lawlessness or disobedience against the commands of God, sin is ignorance. Or sin is a lack of resources to meet our needs. Or sin is human maladaptation. All different kinds of ways that we try to take sin off of our backs, out of our hearts, and put it somewhere else. But the Bible declares sin to be lawlessness. That's what it is. And in the very uh, beginning of the Bible, we read how the the man and the woman, Adam and Eve, disobeyed the command of God with regards to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about the origin of sin. Sort of get a basic understanding of where sin came from. So, originally creation, before the creation of the physical universe. God created the angelic realm. Do you realize that? That God had created the angels and the angelic realm before he ever created the physical universe. We find this in Job chapter 38. Listen to this. It's an interesting scripture, probably one that, for those of you who actually have read the book of Job, (laughs) not a whole lot of people like to go there, but if you have read the book of Job, this might be a part of it that you just skip right over. But listen to, to what God says to Job out of the storm. Job, of course, has been questioning God and his purpose and his sufferings, and God is responding to Job and basically saying, Job, you really aren't in a position to judge me. But listen to what he says here. He says, Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? And on what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy, So, at the moment of physical creation, the angels were present. The morning stars sang together, rejoicing over God's creation of the physical universe. So, they had existed prior to the existence of the creation that we see today. They were present at the creation of the physical universe. Now, one of those angels was a being named Lucifer. Lucifer was a very high-ranking archangel. And This is what we read about Lucifer in the book of Ezekiel. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you, carnelian, chrysolite, emerald, topaz, onyx, jasper, lapis lazuli, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. So this glorious, amazing being, Lucifer, present in the garden of God. You were anointed as the guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God, and you walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in all of your ways from the day that you were created until wickedness was found in you. So this angelic being, Lucifer, held a very high position, perhaps the most prominent position among all of the angels. But there was a moment when wickedness was found within Lucifer. And that wickedness originated in his assertion of his will over the will of God. In fact, Lucifer desired to ascend to God's position of authority and rule. Listen to what we read about in Isaiah chapter 14. Describing Lucifer, how you have fallen from heaven, Lucifer, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to earth. You who once laid low the nations. You who said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of the mount of Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. So Lucifer asserted his will in front of the will of God. He desired the position of God and wickedness was discovered within him. This is where sin originates, in the heart of Lucifer, who subsequently becomes known as Satan or the Adversary. So sin originated with Lucifer, his desire to ascend to the position that only God could hold. But God desired to reveal his glory through the physical creation. Now God understood when he created the heavens and the earth When he created Adam and Eve, God knew. God knew what would happen in the garden. God understood that Satan would enter in the form of the serpent, deceive the man and the woman, and that they would fall, that they would disobey. God knew this. But he also understood that in the sin of man, through the deception of Satan. God knew that his glory would be more fully revealed and made manifest. His love for his creation. His grace towards his creation. His mercy and forgiveness of each one of us. All of that glory is revealed more fully and completely within the fall. Now that is meat. That's what the writer to Hebrews calls meat. That's something that you need to chew on because it's deep stuff. It's hard to understand that somehow it wasn't God's intent for sin to enter in, but God, because he is all-knowing, knew that sin would come in, and because God is able to work together all things for good within the sin of mankind, God would work out and reveal his glory to a full extent. So sin is lawlessness. Sin is rebellion against the command of God. It originated with Lucifer. It was passed on into humankind through Satan's deception of Adam and Eve in the garden. Now, Adam was created in the image of God. Correct? Let us make man in our image. So Adam was created in the image of God, but when Adam sinned, when Adam rebelled against the command of God, the image of God that Adam possessed was tarnished, was impacted. In fact, not only was Adam's carrying of the image of God impacted and tarnished, but the entire creation was affected by his sin. It says in Romans chapter 5 that through one man, sin entered the entire human race. So, each one of us here this morning as descendants of Adam possess the sin nature that Adam passed on to us. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, here's the thing. You say to to me, well, I don't think I'm a sinner, Greg. I don't think that I possess a sin nature. Really. Thou shalt not lie. power of sin, the Bible says, is within the law. All God has to do is put a commandment out there, and we are, because of the sin nature within us, prepared, ready, prone to violate that law. The law is good, but it reveals the sin within us. We are all sinners, and the devastation that sin has wrought goes far beyond, I believe, our capacity to fully comprehend. Have you heard this? Have you heard someone say something like this? They're basically a good person. Sure you have. Sure you have. And we all sort of think that about ourselves, don't we? We all sort of think in terms of, well, yeah, I'm a sinner. I've messed up some. but, But most of the time, I'm trying to do the right thing. Most of the time, I'm a good person. In my heart of hearts, I'm really okay. Well, that's not what the Bible says. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, the Bible says that the heart of man is deceitful and wicked, beyond repair. Who can even know it? And Jesus himself said of the human heart. He said it is out of the human heart that all kinds of wickedness, evil desires, murders, deceptions, originate. So we are not basically good. Now, God in his mercy toward us has given us some conventions that allow us to temper sin within the world. Our conscience. There is a conscience that we all possess that basically gives us the sense of right and wrong. Parenting, proper and good parenting, can direct a child in the way that they should go. This is a gift from God. Government is a gift, according to Romans 13, that God uses to restrain the effects of sin. But the bottom line reality for you and for me is that we are sinners at our core. From the day of our birth, according to Psalm 51, we were conceived in sin. We are sinners by nature. We are sinners by choice. And our sin devastates us and the world around us. People wonder about the suffering that occurs in the world. Death, pain, agony, loss, grief, all of those things, disease, sickness. Why is that in the world? Why do we have to deal with and encounter and go through those difficult things? I asked those questions when my mom was diagnosed with dementia at the age of 60, a nicer, more pure person I've never known. And yet, really, at a pretty young age, she began to lose her mental faculty. Very quickly, she began to not be able to understand what was happening around her, and ultimately. She passed from dementia. Why? It's because of sin. It's because of the devastation that sin has wrought. You see, people, what we don't understand is what this world was like before sin entered in. How glorious the creation was there in the garden. We think we have a notion of that, But we really don't. After the creation on the sixth day, when God prepared to rest, God said, after he looked upon everything, it is very good. The world before sin was something so wonderful, so unimaginably good that we really don't have a concept of what it's like. We think on a good day, wow, this is really wonderful. And our good days, compared to what life was like before sin entered in, there is no comparison. You see, we have lost, because of our sin, because of our sin nature, we have lost the ability to understand what true righteousness, what true holiness, what true goodness is really like. We think we do, but the sin within us deceives us and keeps us from fully appreciating God's best for us. Even we Christians who have been born again of the Spirit, who have gotten into His Word and have the, the Word to illuminate for us God's truth, even we, I believe, do not have a grasp of what life without sin was like. Or, for that matter, what it will be like when God reconstitutes, recreates the world. Listen to what Paul said to the Romans. He said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed within us. The things we're going through now, in comparison to what God has in store for the redeemed, are not even worthy of comparison, Paul says. He says, "...the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration or the impact of sin." Not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. So all of creation, everything that we can see, the farthest galaxy within our universe, everything was impacted by Adam's sin. The creation groans, awaiting the revealing of the sons of God, awaiting the moment of resurrection when God creates a new heaven and a new earth. But see, we cannot overcome sin on our own. We can resolve to do better on January 1st. We can say, I don't want to live like this and and. Put ourselves in positions to religiously behave and hope that we can overcome sin. But the simple truth is, we cannot. We could never pay the price of sin, the wages of sin, the Bible says, is death. We could never pay that full price. And religion will never make us righteous, it will never overcome sin. Paul said in Romans chapter 7 wretched man that I am. Who will save me from the body of this death? Paul had been trying to live a religious life. Trying to overcome sin through the power of religion. Through the ritual of Judaism. And he recognized that he could not do it. But he said, thanks be to God who has given me the victory in Jesus Christ. Now I told you that the gospel was always in God's mind. That Jesus was the lamb slain from before the foundation of the earth. Throughout the Old Testament, there are numerous scriptures that point to Jesus Christ, point to his sacrificial death. All of the sacrifices that, he, that, that we see the Jews performing in the Old Testament looked forward to this ultimate sacrifice of the Messiah. In Genesis chapter 3, we read God speaking to uh, Satan and to Adam and Eve. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So there in Genesis 3.15, we read of the first indication that the Messiah is going to have to suffer in order to overcome sin. Satan shall indeed bruise his heel. But the Messiah, the seed of the woman, will crush the serpent's head. Listen to these descriptions out of Isaiah of what Jesus went through when he was suffering for the price of your sin and mine. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6 and 7. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out my beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. Isaiah chapter 52, verse 14. Just as many were astonished at you, so his face was marred more than any man, and his form more than any of the sons of men. This is a description of our Messiah, Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53, perhaps the most beautiful portrait in the Old Testament of the suffering servant, the suffering of the Messiah. Who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. In fact, he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, well acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes. We are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned each one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions. Of my people, he has been stricken, and they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Now listen to this. This is a description of Jesus, and of course, you're, you're familiar. If you're familiar with the uh, trial and the 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 cross, all of this describes exactly what Jesus went through. But listen to this. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied, and by his knowledge my righteous servant will justify many bearing their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. It pleased the Lord to bruise him because he knew that it was only through the suffering of Jesus Christ, through the death of Jesus Christ, through, ultimately, here we read, the resurrection of, of Jesus Christ, that sin could finally be dealt with. The price of sin paid for and victory over sin achieved in the resurrection. Sin is a devastating reality. There is only one way for you to conquer it, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ. If you decide to try to overcome sin through your own resolve, you will end up as the Apostle Paul crying out, wretched man or wretched woman that I am. Because you will always fall fall short. You will always find yourself condemned. Not doing enough. I've got to do more. I've fallen short. There's just this sense within me that I have fallen short, and in fact, that is a true reality. But through the gospel, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the proof that the price of sin was paid for has been demonstrated. You can have freedom in Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For where sin abounds, grace has much more abounded. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth that you speak to us. We are sinners. We are sinners by nature, by choice. Our experience teaches us that we are trapped in the cycle of sin until we come face to face with Jesus Christ and the good news that he offers us new life in him. And so my prayer here this morning, Lord, is that each one of us would humbly and faithfully receive that gift of salvation. If there are any here this morning or any hearing my voice on the radio who have not trusted in you, who have not seen in the gospel yet, hope, for new life. I pray this morning that your spirit speak to them and tell them of your great love. We give you all the praise and the glory and thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand up. We're going to conclude with the old hymn Rock of Ages. Let's gather around in a circle and share joys before the Lord. I know a lot of you have been or are suffering with a cold, perhaps flu. So if you do not want to clasp hands, that is understandable and maybe perhaps even advisable. But if if you're good holding hands, that's fine. The Bible says in the Old Testament, go out with joy and be led forth in peace. Let the mountains and the hills break forth before you. So that's what we're doing here this morning. We are bringing joys before the Lord so that we can go forth in joy and be led out in peace. So who has a joy that they would like to share with the congregation here this morning? Kelly. Kelly. Hallelujah, God on the move. Anyone else? Joy would like to share. Yes, Joan. I have not been sick. Joan has not been sick. Hallelujah. Well, you're one of the few. So praise God for that. Have a joy that you'd like to share? Chris? No. Oh, yay! And David, what is your precious little girl's name? Hannah Bell. Hannah Bell. Isn't that beautiful? Hannah Bell. All right, so she's doing all right. Everything going well for her mom and dog? Congratulations. That's it, oh, that's right. <laughs> okay, other praises. Joys that you would like to share. Yes? Pardon. Being here listening to you preach this morning, especially the violin and the piano. Yeah. Yeah. God. God is so good and so worthy of praise, yes. I'm going to share a joy. My wife and I are taking a Quick vacation out to San Diego to see our daughter who lives there. Looking forward to spending some time in the warm sun. Chris. Well, let's go ahead and just give thanks to the Lord and then we'll sing that song, sing Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the good things that you do for us. Even those things, Lord, that uh, are difficult, those challenges before us, perhaps because of sin, perhaps because of uh, something else, we know that you work those things together for good because we love you and are called according to your purpose. And so we just give you praise and glory. Uh, We rejoice in your indescribable gift. Sing
1: hallelujah to the Lord. Sing
0: hallelujah to the Lord. Sing hallelujah. Sing hallelujah. Sing hallelujah, Sing, hallelujah to the Lord. Go in peace.